I always enjoy this time of year here in the southeast United States where I live, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, there's something about like the early, early days of fall that has a convergence of different elements that happen during that season that I really, really enjoy. I love it when you can notice on those first few days of really goes for about two weeks, but especially the first few days where you're like, oh, summer's over. I can feel fall in the air. You hear people say it. You walk outside and you start seeing the first leaves on the ground. And um, it's just a whole different uh, vibe in the atmosphere. Um, it's like it's still bright and sunny on certain days. And yet it's kind of got a little bit of a, a cool chill in the air. And it just signals that, okay, um, one year is coming to an end and about to go into a little bit of dormancy. And then uh, it pops with the uh, <laughs> the new year that comes a few months later. Also, like the fact that it's um, um, I'm a baseball fan, and so I really enjoy uh, my home team, the Atlanta Braves. I have since I was a little boy played baseball for about eight years growing up, and um, was always a Braves fan. I have fond memories of of watching the Braves. My uncle actually played for the Braves, the Atlanta Braves. My uncle Robert Belwar. He played in the early 70s, early to mid 70s uh, for a few seasons, uh, shortstop second base for the Atlanta Braves. They were terrible. And he was, uh, I mean, he was good enough to make the major leagues, but he didn't do much when he was he was up there. But I remember just the Braves being a part of our, our lives. And um, so, you know, postseason baseball has been the norm for the Braves for a lot of years. And uh, it's just something about it, college football, all of that stuff. And um, just uh, for me, the fall season is kind of like an off ramp. It just, I get to go into a little bit of a decline mode and things slow down for me a little bit around um, the holiday season. And then I am always geared up for the beginning of a new year. January is my favorite month. I love the beginning of a new year. It's so funny. Amy and I are, that's my wife, are, we're completely different. Um, she <laughs> hates January. That uh, may be too strong of a word, but she does not like January. She'd leave that Christmas tree up in our house until, you know, April if she could. But um, she really, really enjoys Christmas time and holidays. And so she's always sad when it ends. And I'm always like, hey, can we get all these ornaments and these de decorations and get this tree down and let's let's get ready for the new year. And um, so it's always a little bit of humor around our house at that time. So I don't know if you're enjoying this season or not. I hope you are, man. I know some of you are going through some incredibly challenging uh, situations in your life. Um, I can say that without knowing who all is listening, but I do know some of you that listen and some of you are um, open with me and tell me the difficulties you're going through. And, you know, one of the themes of Mavericks and Misfits is I just try to stay biblical with everything. It doesn't mean I don't have a heart. It doesn't mean I'm just some theological, you know, robot. But, you know, the guardrails of Scripture help keep me on the right path. And so the Scriptures tell us that in the final days before the return of Christ, there's going to be really, really hard times. And the describes them as birth pangs. And any of you ladies that have given birth, you, you understand that better than I do. But once those contractions and those pains start happening, they don't go away until the thing that is causing them is birthed. And the Bible describes the end of the age and the difficulties that are associated with the end of the age as being birth pangs, meaning once they start, they don't stop until the kingdom, the visible fullness of the kingdom is birthed, so to speak. And so I'm not surprised when my life is hard. 
Um, I, if, you know, if God just said, Jeff, I'm going to bless either your hard life or your easy life, either way, I'm going to bless it. Well, you know what I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose the easy path if that's what he wants to bless. But he doesn't give us that option. And he does promise us that it's through much tribulation that we'll enter into the fullness of the kingdom. And so uh, my heart goes out to you. I want to encourage you to please keep pressing in because there's nowhere else to go. My Christian friend, if you're going through the pains and the difficulties, um, and they're getting grueling and they're intense and you're panicky or you're weary or you're angry, um, or you're afraid, like I want to encourage you to keep pressing in because God is not finished yet and he is with you. He's right there in the middle of it, man. I'm feeling the Lord on this. Some of you just need to listen for a second. Um, Like he wants you to know today that he is right there with you and no, he's not going to snap his fingers and make it all go away because that would leave you where you were when he allowed, he initially allowed this trouble to find you. The purpose of God in allowing trouble is that it produces the fruit of maturity. It also produces the fruit of intimacy with him if we respond correctly. And I've learned over the years that Uh, God is way more interested in my maturity and my intimacy with him than he is my comfort in the sense of comfortable, you know, comfortable circumstances. And so he is, he is really, really working in your life to bring out what he knows he has placed within you. He is conforming you to the image of his own son. And Jesus was not allowed to be immune. Do you hear me on this? Jesus, the son of God, who is also the son of man in his human experience on earth was not immunized from suffering. That's an understatement. He suffered worse than anybody. Um, and he had to go through all of the constraints of time and space. And, um, because of his perfect reliance upon the father and his dedication just to complete the father's will, he never sinned. He never backed off. He never let his circumstances derail him. He was tempted. Satan tempted him in the wilderness and said, hey, look, forget the cross. I'll give you everything that you're going to get by the cross. I'll give it to you without the cross. Just bow down and worship me. And, of course, you know the story. Jesus just quoted the word of God to him, and eventually Satan left him for a season. And so I really want to say to those of you that are in over your head, one, you're supposed to be. Okay, you're actually supposed to be as a Christian living a life wherein you are in over your head because that means you're not in control and you can't do it all by yourself. If you weren't in over your head, you'd make it all happen and God would get no glory and you wouldn't have the beauty of knowing how to partner with him in life. You'd be doing life for him in your own strength. And he's not interested in that. He's not interested in you living for him in your own improved strength. He, he actually wants to keep us a little bit um, in over our heads, sometimes a lot in over our heads, so that we will know how desperately every day we wake up that we need him. And I hope that you're gaining that in your tre- season of trial. Um, this kind of has a little touch of what I just shared with what I want to talk to you about today. And I'm actually going to read a few Bible verses. Um, this is a and I don't mean this irreverently, this is a strange passage of scripture I'm about to read you from Matthew 15. And so if you're sitting down or you're at a desk or you're somewhere where you're not driving or working out or whatever, and you have access to a Bible, find Matthew 15 and um, go to verse 21. 
While you're turning there, I'm going to take a sip of my fake coffee. It's decaf. It tastes good, but it's fake. It has does not have the main ingredient for which people usually drink coffee. But I'm, I'm going to drink it a little bit while you're turning to Matthew 15, 21. Yeah, that tastes real good, actually. Um, so <clears throat> if, if you don't know this account in the Word of God, it's, it's I say it's strange because Jesus is is he's acting and displaying an aspect of himself that I don't see anywhere else in the New Testament. You don't find multiple passages that are going to have the same vibe that this one does. You find one, and I'm going to read it to you. And it's where he's encountering this Canaanite woman, um, King James people. That's what I was when I first learned this. She's called the Syrophoenician woman. Remember that? In more modern translations, she's called the Canaanite woman, but she's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. And if you don't know much about your Bible, Jews and Gentiles during the time of Jesus, they were really hostile to each other. There was massive cultural walls between the Hebrews and the non-Hebrews, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so Jesus, of course, is a Jew. And we know that as the Jewish Messiah, he was offering his Messiahship to the Jewish people. And only later did it become apparent to everybody that God's intention the whole time has been that it wouldn't be just a Jewish only kingdom. It would be Jew and Gentile, one new people, the Christian living with God for all of eternity. But at the time that Jesus is having this conversation with the Canaanite woman, um, he's just operating within the norms of the culture. And so, you know, Jesus didn't just come to topple, um, you know, societal standards. His main mission was not social reform, that is attached to the gospel. But when Jesus came, he's just proclaiming the kingdom. And so he's not going around trying to fix everything that's broken in society. I mean, the Roman empire had massive slavery and Jesus didn't come in to topple the concept of slavery in the Roman empire. Um, women were oppressed and Jesus's primary message was not liberate women, although he did it. And of course, apart from Christianity, women would still be under massive subjection all over the world. Jesus did more for the rights of women than any leader in human history. And it's so funny because now the accusation from the enemy through the culture is that Christians suppress women. <laughs> Go somewhere where the gospel has never taken root and you'll find out how women are treated. The, Jesus Christ, and I'm, I don't want to get off track here, but Jesus Christ like totally elevated women, leveled the playing field. And, um, but when he was in this passage, when he was in his earthly life, he, he wasn't walking around with a sign saying women must be free. He was saying all people must be free. You're all slaves. <laughs> You're all in bondage. You're all in the lap of the wicked one. You're all, you all are in chains. You all need to be free. So his message was not primary social. But in this passage of scripture, Jesus is operating in the social construct of his day. And it's kind of like makes you nervous. It's like nervous laughter. Bible verses. So let me read it to you. Okay. Just listen, just listen here. And if you got your Bible open, you can follow around, uh, follow along. I'm reading out of the English standard version. And it says in verse 21 of Matthew 15, that Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, have mercy on me. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Wow, that's intense, okay? So this lady walks up to him and is weeping and she she's asking for mercy and she employs that Jewish term son of David. It's a messianic title. She's not Jewish. 
She doesn't have any right to use that really, not in a covenant way. But here's the real thing. She says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. That's the whole thing. This is a mom with a severely demonized daughter. And that's her motivation. I've got to get to the man who I've heard cast out demons. I've got to get to the man that sets people free. He's a Jew. I'm a Gentile. Society tells me I can't press in. I don't care. Somebody's got to help my daughter. And he's the only one. So I'm coming to him on his terms. That's, that's the bottom line. She's got a need she can't meet. She knows Jesus is the only one who can meet it. She's not going there telling him, hey, this is why you ought to help me. She's crying out for mercy. She knows she doesn't have a leg to stand on, but she is brokenhearted because for however long, if it was a week, it was a heartbreaking week. If it was a month, it was an excruciating month. If it was years, it was a disastrous set of years where she's watching her little daughter, who may be a teenager, who knows how old she is, but she is severely oppressed by a demon, a demonized woman or young girl. So she's coming to Jesus desperate and crying out, help, help, help. Now look at verse 23. He did not answer her a word. He did not answer her a word. You want to get nervous there for a second? <laughs> that's, that's not the Jesus we've come to know, is it? She's begging. And Jesus is ignoring her request. All right. You nervous yet? So next part of verse 23, his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away. She is crying out after us. So the disciples are like, yeah, I'm glad Jesus is not answering her because she's a Gentile. We're Jews. I don't even know why she's coming up to us. We don't associate with Gentiles. They don't associate with Jews, you know? And so their answer to this desperately heartbroken, helpless woman the disciple Jesus is just not saying anything. And the disciples are like interpreting his silence as judgment. And, and they're sick of hearing her crying after Jesus repeatedly. And so their answer is get this woman, this nuisance out of here. She is bothering us. Get her away, Jesus. And then Jesus answered and seemingly he's answering her. And he says, I am sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, so she's drawing nearer, and knelt before him. Verse 25, Matthew 15, 25. She came and knelt before him. So she's getting lower and lower and lower. Desperate uh, times are bringing her down. She's feeling like her one moment of opportunity, her one answer, her one possible remedy to the demonic affliction on her daughter. She's feeling like it's slipping away. So she comes and kneels down before him. And this is what she says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. So she's not backing off. She's not interpreting his silence as a denial. She, even if it is a denial, she's not done pressing in. There's too much on the line. She's breaking decorum. She's violating social norms. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's driven by this brokenness in her family, this brokenness in her heart, this impossible situation that is contextualizing her entire existence. Listen, if you've got a demonized person that you love and you're a mom and that person is your kid, then nothing much more matters than getting that breakthrough. And Jesus is not answering her. And then when he does, it's not a hopeful answer. 
I mean, put yourself in her sandals for a moment. Jesus is saying to her, I am not really supposed to help you. You're a Gentile. I'm a Jew. My father has sent me to Israel first and you don't qualify. I know that you're using my language by calling me the son of David. I hear you employing terms that you don't really have high regard for. You're just coming to me because you can't go anywhere else. And you're, you're, you're meeting me according to my terms, but I'm not sure you understand what you're doing. So let me just tell you, Hey, I'm not really sent to your, your people. That's, that's a version of Jesus that you and I just don't like. Let me pause here for a second. In case your heart is wanting to indict Jesus, you need to remember something. He never does anything wrong. He never sins. He never comes short of perfection in anything he is motivated by, anything he thinks, anything he says, or anything he does. So why do I say that? Because our emotions tell us Jesus is doing something wrong. That's not nice. He's making that lady struggle even more. Why doesn't he relieve her struggle? Isn't Jesus supposed to take all of the bad stuff away as soon as he's aware of it? You know, that's kind of what our gut tells us. And here he is saying, first ignoring her and then saying, yeah, I'm not really supposed to help your people. And so she, she just keeps pressing in. She says, Lord, help me. And so maybe now Jesus could say, all right, I'm going to reward your determination. You're awesome. He doesn't say that right here. Listen to what he says. He answered her, verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? No, let me read that again. This is his answer to her request. Lord, help me. It's not right for me to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, oh no, this is not the Jesus I learned in vacation Bible school. This is not the modern Jesus who's supposed to make everybody happy. This is not the modern Jesus who would never cause me one ounce of discomfort or, you know, stress. Jesus is supposed to relieve all things immediately. And he's not doing it to this lady. And there's a reason why this is in the Bible. And although it is not the normal display that we see of Jesus, God made sure this was in the word. And I'm going to tell you why I believe it's so in just a moment. So he tells her it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let me take a sip of coffee. So the Jews commonly regarded the Gentiles as dogs. Now, most of us are familiar with the concept of a pet dog, a house dog. You know, I've got a little one named Zoe. I call her the Mexican queen. She's a chihuahua. And she is uh, from El País de México, <laughs> the, the land of Mexico. And she is my Mexican queen dog. She is tiny. She is old. Her tongue hangs out of her mouth. She's got two teeth. I mean, literally, that's all the teeth she has. She is. She's just a mess. But she's my dog, and she's Amy's dog, and she's part of our family, and we love her. And so, you know, a dog in our day is not really regarded as it was in Jesus' day. This is a wild, mangy, scavengy dog that Jesus is talking about here. And the Jews commonly referred to the Gentiles as dogs. It was, in, in essence, it was a cultural norm. Because, the, by the way, the Gentiles hated the Jews too. So Jesus is just kind of hijacking a cultural norm. He's not endorsing it. He doesn't devalue this woman, but he is meeting people 
in the context of the culture in which they are living, and he's drawing something out of this woman. And so this is the hardest thing that Jesus could ever say to this lady. And I'm going to tell you why he's doing it in a moment, so you need to stick with me here. But he says, I can't take the children's bread. I can't take the offer of the kingdom that belongs to the Jews, the children of God, the covenant people. He says, it would be wrong for me to take the children's bread and throw it to you, a Gentile dog. And so listen to what she says. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Whoa. She says, you're right. I get it. I'm a Gentile. You're the Jewish Messiah. I don't have a leg to stand on. I'm not going to argue with you. You don't owe me a thing. I don't have anything to negotiate with. I'm the one in need. You're the one who can meet the need. You are not on trial here, Jesus. I'm the one who is desperate and broken, and you're making it harder on me. But I'm going to answer you, Jesus, by saying, yep, culturally speaking, I'm the dog in this scenario. Culturally speaking, I'm the Gentile. I don't have any claims to the Jewish covenant. But Lord, I want to say something as a dog. In the natural, Lord, you know that even the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's saying a couple of things. You're right. I know who I am. I know I don't have anything to offer. I know I don't have any ground by which you're obligated to help me. I get it. You owe me nothing. She says, I know that in culture, I'm a dog. I'm not going to fight you on that one, Jesus. But I want to remind you of something. Lord, even in the natural, a human master doesn't mind if a little old dog gets a meal from the crumbs that happen to spill off the table. Lord, you're the master. I'm the dog. But I'm hungry for help. I can't make it if you don't feed me with what I need. My daughter is a prisoner of the demonic realm. And Lord, I'm a dog begging underneath the master's table saying, won't you help me even though I don't deserve a thing? It's a very powerful response from a mom who just wants to see her daughter free. Um, I will say this. Let me just read the next verse and then for our remaining couple of minutes, I want to tell you why this is important to you. Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And then the Bible says her daughter was healed instantly. So the story wraps up with incredible victory that this lady got everything that she came for. She actually ended up getting more than she came for. Because not only did her daughter get healed instantly and delivered from the demonic oppression that had dominated her, not only did that mom walk away reunited with a daughter who had experienced the wholeness of God through the power and the word of Jesus Christ, but this woman's fame and faith 
was memorialized in scripture and people have been reading about her for 2000 years. That's not what she came for, but that's part of what she got. Now, let me ask you, how do you feel about how Jesus treated her? I think it's a valid question. How do you feel about how Jesus treated this woman? I, uh, I want to tell you what I believe Jesus was doing. And I don't claim to have perfect understanding of everything in this moment. But I'm going to tell you a couple of things that I see clearly. Jesus intentionally set up something in front of this woman that she would either leap over or stumble over. She was either going to leap over the barrier that he intentionally erected or she was going to trip over it. She was going to stumble at it. And that was going to be the determining factor of what happened. I'm going to ask you a question because what this deals with is the potential for this woman to be offended with God, to be offended with Jesus, to be offended by him not doing immediately what she needed him to do. She could have been offended because she had heard other people get instantly healed of demons. And some of them were delivered of demons. That's the better word delivered from demons without even asking. They didn't come and beg. They didn't have to. They didn't come and plead. They didn't have to. Jesus just walked through crowds and he'd lay hands on people and instantly deliver them from demonic oppression, get set free. Everybody knew that Jesus primarily did three things. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. Jesus healed the sick and Jesus cast out demons. That's primarily what Jesus Christ did. And so this woman is not asking him to do something that's unprecedented. And he's, she's just asking him to do it for her. And he ignored her at the beginning. You know, that, that is, that's a, that's a hard place to get when you're in your hour of desperation and you're crying out and God isn't thundering from heaven. Here comes the answer and you're about to get your remedy. But when God is silent, it can be a stumbling block. You can trip over that. You can assume because you don't feel him moving. You don't hear what he's saying. Nobody's really giving you the heart of the Lord on your particular situation. And you might get bitter. You might get orphaned in your heart. You might add Jesus's name to the list of people that just didn't care enough about you because he didn't swiftly move in to answer you, but instead he remained silent. That lady, that lady didn't, didn't, that was nothing to her. She wasn't even thinking about turning back. Jesus is the only one that can help her. And even though he was silent, she didn't, she didn't go silent. So he, he then says, Hey, uh, what I'm doing right now, I'm doing for the Jews. It's not really wide open for the Gentiles. And, you know, you're using that son of David phrase. I know you borrowed that from our language. You really don't have claim to that because that's a Jewish Hebraic messianic word. And uh, yeah, um, I'm just trying to do what the father told me to do. Now he's testing her. And by the way, Jesus knows what he's about to do. Jesus is being tactical in a way that makes us uncomfortable. And he reserves the right to do that in your life and mine. 
He reserves the right as the one who knows exactly what the end is going to be. He knew it from the beginning. He knows exactly what he's going to do in this woman's life. He knows what he's doing in your life. And he's, and he's literally not trying to make up his mind. He's trying to draw out her hunger. He's trying to increase her faith. He's trying to f- give her a moment to find out, will her potential offense and bitterness Will that detach her from him or is she really serious about this? And so when God goes silent on us or when God seemingly is indifferent to our plight and doesn't immediately rectify it, remedy it or resurrect it, what do we do? Do we get offended with God? She didn't. Do we feel entitled? She didn't. Do we feel like the God who owes us something had better show up or we're going to take our ball and go home? Uh Uh-oh. She didn't. And so then he, he, he tells her this, man, this is like intense. He says, yeah, you know how it works in this culture. I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. Jews regard Gentiles as dogs. I'm going to operate within the culture. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually going to hold this precious thing that I've got. And I want you to know that as a Gentile dog, you don't have any foot to stand on. I mean, that, friends, is borderline. If it wasn't Jesus, like if I said that to somebody, I'd have to repent. I'd have to to ask forgiveness of God and the person. But this lady doesn't blink an eye. She actually agrees with Jesus. This is intense, man. She, She literally is like, yeah, you're right. I got nothing. But I'm not walking away. I'm not backing off. I'm not going to let my offense and my hurt feelings and the injustice between Jews and Gentiles, it worked both ways, by the way. Um, I'm not going to let that stop me because none of that stuff is as important as me pressing into you for the breakthrough that only you can give, Jesus. So when, when offense comes, and by the way, some of you are offended. You're living with a spirit of offense. And you, you don't trace it all the way down to the root. You're offended with this person for this reason or another person for this reason. You're offended maybe with your children, maybe with your parents, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your spiritual leaders. Maybe you're offended with the government, offended with a certain racial group, offended with a certain societal class standard of living. Maybe you're offended with the poor who won't work or the rich who don't have to work. We live in such a hyper-offended culture. It's ridiculous. And most Christians, well, maybe not most, many Christians are living with a spirit of offense, but they don't trace it down to the root. Most people who live in offense, if they'll trace it down, they're offended with Jesus. They're offended with God. And, and because something happened that hurt them and God didn't stop it from happening. And they're offended with God. This woman could have been offended with Jesus because Jesus is not showing her any seemingly courtesy. But remember, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to go ahead and say this. Jesus Christ, knowing this woman would not give up, had to bring this woman to the point where she knew she would not give up. And that's what he's doing with some of you. Jesus knows what he's placed inside of you. 
He also knows it's your choice whether to press in and press on or whether you're going to get offended and die to the uh, die on the altar of your offense. You're going to quit trying. You're going to quit pressing in. You're going to be bitter. You're not going to forgive. You're going to manage your, your, your junk in your heart, but you're not going to get it out of your heart. You're just going to manage it. Not this lady. This lady's like, hey, I hear everything you're saying, but I'm still looking at you, Lord Jesus, and I'm saying, I need your help. I can't do it without you. It doesn't matter what the culture says about me. It doesn't matter about the pain that I'm, yeah, I'm a dog in this culture. It doesn't matter. Lord, I'm just looking at you and saying, all right, everything you're saying is true, but this dog wants some crumbs and the crumbs will heal my daughter. You got to get tenacious like that. Let me just go ahead and take uh, this is going a little longer. Give me a few more minutes. Some listening right now. You just got to make up your mind. Are you offended with God? Are you offended with people? Are you literally thinking that God's cool with you? I mean, he's not mad at you. But the reason why he allowed that thing to offend you is to expose in your heart that you have a conditional relationship with people and a conditional relationship with him. If God doesn't offend you, if people don't offend you, you'll keep doing the right thing. You'll keep going after him. You'll keep loving them. You, as long as nobody hurts you, as nobody, long as nobody wounds you, as, no long as, as long as nobody disappoints you, as long as nobody gets ahead of you, as long as God works according to your timetable, as long as God punishes those immediately who have made you feel bad or hurt you or wounded you in any way, as long as God does what I want him to do to validate who I think I am and what I deserve, then I'm going to be great with God. But if he allows this offense in my heart, hey, I've got a right to be offended. Wow, that just landed. You see, the lady was given a test. Jesus allowed the offense moment so that she could find out, will she press through the offense so that she is intimate with him in a moment? And of course, the spiritual way, intimately connected to Jesus in a moment where nothing else matters but just being touched by him. And I'm going to ask you the same thing. Maybe he allowed that thing to arise in your life. I'm not saying he caused it, but he didn't stop it. And maybe you're just brokenhearted. Maybe you're angry. But maybe you just are offended because you know you're not allowed to be angry at God. So instead of being angry at God outwardly, you're offended with him inwardly. You're smoldering. You're not erupting. You're smoldering. Or you're just afraid. And the Lord allowed that thing in your life so that you would press through it and say, only what matters most is that I connect with Jesus over this thing. I'm not going to quit on Jesus. I'm not turning around. I'm not losing everything I've gained because I feel like a dog and I feel like God doesn't care and I feel like people are wrong and I feel like I'm underneath the boot of people that disregard me. God allowed that to happen in your life. And the reason why is because he knows that you don't have to give yourself into that. He knows that there's something he's placed inside of you that it will, it will come alive. There's a seed of endurance in you that comes alive when it's tested by offense. 
and I just want to speak a better word over you. You will not die spiritually on this false altar of being offended in the name of Jesus. You will come through. You will overcome like today. Make up your mind. You don't have a leg to stand on. You don't have anything to bargain with. I mean, you're saved by grace through faith. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Your sins are forgiven. You're justified. You're being sanctified. You will be glorified. He has forgiven you everything, everything. You already got more than you deserve. You're already blessed. You're already enriched. You're a joint heir with Jesus. You're spiritual royalty to walking around offended with the one who did all of this for you is to say, yeah, you gave me the greatest thing, but I wanted the things that I wanted also. And I wanted them in the time I wanted and you didn't make that happen. And Lord, I'm not happy about that. Okay. Well then confess that to him. Cause that's what that lady did. That lady didn't argue with Jesus. She just said, yeah, you're, you're right about where my heart is. You're right about where I am. I don't, I, I, I know it. I don't, I don't have any defense, but I still need you. And so she had to press through her offense in order to get her breakthrough. And so do you. So I've, I've really given you so much to think about, and I don't need to keep repeating it in different ways, but I just want to say that God will allow offensive things to happen in your life. He will allow painful things to happen in your life. He will allow heartbreaking, excruciating, mind bending, numbing things to occur in your life that make no sense, that make opportunities to where you're going to choose whether you're an orphan or a child of God. And if you'll be like this lady who had this indomitable spirit to press through in the middle of perhaps being offended by Jesus. And Jesus said, I've just watched you press through woman. Your faith is great. It's mega. I believe that's the Greek word there in the, in that Matthew 15 verse. You've got mega faith. When you overcome bitterness, when you overcome wrongdoing, when you press through your jacked up emotions with God about bad stuff that's happened, Jesus is like, ah, oh, there she goes. There he goes. They're doing it. They have more faith than they would have ever known had I not allowed the offense, the offense to, uh, to arise in their lives. And you become more like Jesus that way and you find out who you are. So I bless you with everything you've heard in this 38-minute <laughs> Mavericks and Misfits podcast, and um, I hope you'll continue to tune in. We're out for today. God bless. I'll talk to you next time. To connect with Jeff, visit maverickmisfit.com, where you'll find all his social media links, video resources, his book, Figuring It Out As I Go, and his weekly Transforming Truth blog.